you continue with me this morning just praising God as you take a deep breath in? God, we thank you for the breath of air that you have created, that you've given us. As we exhale, God, we know you created a system in us that's restoring us every time we breathe. Breathing in the good, breathing out that which is created by the energy of life. God, we join all of creation. We join nature. Everything that you've made in giving praise to you and celebrating you today. Thank you for the power of your spirit that lives within us. Thank you for the power of your word that brings life to our soul and to our spirit. Thank you for the opportunity to glorify your name and be lifted up to put aside the cares of this world. God, I pray for the ability today just to to block out any hindrance that might come to us communing with you, fellowshipping with you, fulfilling our purpose to do nothing today during this hour, but worship you and praise you. God, we're here because of you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us today in such a powerful way. And now, as we continue in your word, God, continue Continue to be glorified through the power of your spirit and the power of your word, the application of your word to our life and change our life today to be more like you. In Jesus' name now, we continue to worship. Amen. I invite you to take your Bible and open it with me to Psalm 104. Psalm 104. A few times in my life, I've had the privilege of being in the hospital room when several patients have experienced a heart transplant. Uh, I've witnessed the feelings of patients and family members as the family celebrated spending the rest of the life of that individual together with them, having their lives extended. I have noticed that in every single one of those situations, there's this overwhelming sense of gratitude, thankfulness to someone who was willing to donate a heart for the transplant to take place, gratitude for the doctors who had the knowledge and the experience to make that transplant uh, work smoothly. And then the gratitude, the overwhelming gratitude to God for giving them an extended life. Same is true when someone is battling cancer and they get the good news that they're in remission from cancer or that they are cancer-free. I mean, there's there's an overwhelming spirit of gratitude when you get that kind of great news. That was the kind of feeling I believe that the psalmist had in Psalm 104. Last week in verse 1, we read where the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. Now, notice the emphasis here. The soul, which is the mind, will, and emotions of the psalmist, were not fixed on himself. They were not fixed on the cares around him. They were not fixed on the distractions that could have been around him as he 
gave his praise and worship to God. Look at where the focus was. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. Do you see the source of where the gratitude of the psalmist was coming from? It was his mind and his soul and his heart and his life were fixed totally on glorifying God. And that's my job for us today. In fact, every time I stand here, one of us open God's Word and shares God's Word. Our only purpose is to help each of us focus beyond the cares of this world and focus on our Creator God. Worship is designed to give praise and glory to God. And that's why we're here today, and that's where the psalmist leads us to today. See, this entire psalm tells us why we give thanks to our great God. The psalmist is overwhelmed with God's over-the-top generosity. Recognizing generosity means that you realize that you have received today, today, more in life than you deserve. Being overwhelmed means that you are affected strongly about what God has done. I felt a spirit in the music this morning, the songs that you sang. You were an awesome choir this morning, singing that praise and glory to God because we have been affected so strongly by His grace and by His mercy. Psalm 104 praises God as the creator of everything. The psalmist praises God because on day one, he created the light. On day two, he created the heavens. On day three, he created the, 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 the breath that you and I enjoy, the atmosphere that we enjoy. On day four, he created the planets. To sum up verses 1 through 23 that we covered last week, Light and the heavens above and the earth and the planets were created for one reason. One reason alone. And that's to give glory to God. So I want you to prepare your heart this morning to block out anything that stands between you and connecting with God. And let the Spirit of God bring to life in you a renewed spirit to give praise and glory to God. Because greatest joy in life only comes when you give thanks to God as a part of His creation. So that brings us today, 5, 6, and 7, in Psalm 104, beginning with verse 24, going down through verse 35. I'll read aloud and you follow along with me. Psalm 104, 24. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things, both small and great. There go the ships and the Leviathan, which you form to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. 
When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise, I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to Him. For I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth. Let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So in addition to light and the heavens above and the earth and the planets, first of all today, our great God created animals. We see that in verses 24 through 26. Well, Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom. You have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here's the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. So on the fifth day of creation... God created the animal kingdom. The psalmist burst into praise to God because God's glory is put on display through the animal kingdom. We saw that as we read this morning in Genesis 1 verses 20 to 25 where God created the land animals and the sea animals. This included what the psalmist points out here is the Leviathan, these large huge sea monster-like animals in the sea. God created them for His pleasure, just like He did the millions and billions of microscopic sea animals. In Job chapter 3, in Job chapter 41, Psalm chapter 74, and Isaiah chapter 27, this Leviathan is, is mentioned. God created the magnificent, gigantic sea animals as well as the microscopic sea animals, as well as everything on this earth, the land dwellers, the land animals, great and small. He created all of it for His pleasure. I grew up about around animals. Uh, most mornings I woke up to the sound of horses and cows and pigs and ducks and lots of dogs all over the place around our house, around the little farm that I grew up around. And it was so encouraging and so uh, invigorating to, to be around the animal life. Animals are uniquely created by God, not just for His pleasure, but for our pleasure as well. All animal creation deserves the respect and care that God gave man authority over the animals to provide for them. The Bible has a lot to say about God's relationship with animals. Give me a few, I'll give you a few examples. First of all, in Genesis chapter 7, remember 
Noah had built this gigantic ark, and God's Spirit led the animals into the ark because God wanted animal life to be preserved. In 1 Kings chapter 17, God used a raven to bring a supply of food to the prophet Elijah to sustain his life. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said that God even acknowledges when a bird falls to the ground. God knows everything about every animal. God loves animal life. He cares about animal life. He provides for animal life, the psalmist says. So the psalmist recognized that that God enjoys animals, both small and great. And the psalmist perfectly reveals that God created and is engaged with animals who are a part of his redemptive creation. Now, this is where it truly affects you and me. If you've ever been around animal life at all, if you've ever had any kind of animal or experience with an animal, you know how close they can grow to your heart and your life, and that's a good thing. Animals not only bring pleasure to God, but they enrich our lives. They point to the Creator, God, of all things. And so they're worthy of our respect. God also used animals to reveal His divine justice. And the the closer you've ever grown to animal life the more this should impact your heart and the love that God has for you. In Leviticus chapter 16, innocent animals had to be sacrificed to cover the sins of people. God cannot live and dwell in the midst of sin. And as a consequence, he had to take some of his most loved beings to be sacrificed to serve as a symbol for the seriousness of what sin does to the life of a human being. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 18, the Bible explains that animal sacrifice was necessary to cover the sins of you and me, rebellious, sinful human beings. And these sacrifices had to be repeated over and over, daily sacrifices, annual sacrifices, because of the sinful nature and actions of human beings, including you and me. But the blood of animals could not purify and take away the sin of mankind. The blood of animals only covered and symbolically covered the sins of human beings like you and me. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14, though, the Bible says, By a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, And then down in verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 10, the Bible says, Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And so when Jesus, 
God in the flesh came to this earth and sacrificed his life. The animal sacrifice was no longer needed. Jesus permanently did what animal sacrifice only temporarily did. See, a human heart transplant extends life for a little while. But the exchange of your sin with the sacrifice of Jesus takes away your sin for eternity and gives you new life, not just a new heart, but new life for eternity. So Jesus became human flesh. He lived a sinless, perfect life. And it took the sinless, perfect sacrifice of Jesus to take away your sin and my sin. It completed what animal sacrifice only symbolized temporarily. So the sinless, innocent Son of God became the true, eternal, substitutionary sacrifice for the sin of all humanity, including you and me. And for that, along with celebrating the animals, we celebrate and give glory to God because of the ultimate final sacrifice that He made for you and me through Jesus. So today, we will celebrate the remembrance of what Jesus did that animals could not do. It was serious that God had to take the sacrificial life of animals to cover the sin of those before Jesus. Animals bring glory and praise to God. They point to God as creator. They point to God as the perfect designer. They, they point to God as the perfect artist. I mean, he, there's, there's no one or anything any more creative than God himself. And animals point to the fact of the living display of God's creativity and care for you and me. Then number two, after God had created light and heavens and earth and planets and animals, our great God created man, the ultimate creation of God. In verses 27 to 30, these all look to you and to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. So verses 27 to 29 remind us that we as human beings are totally dependent on God. Are you aware of that? You are totally dependent on God. When you breathe in, where does that breath of air come from? When you breathe out... Where does that sustaining process, that cycle of breathing in and breathing out, where does that cycle come from? Just like everything else, you are a result of God's creation. Just like everything else, God created food from nothing. He created you from nothing. That's what uniquely qualifies Him and makes Him God. He created from nothing. The psalmist reminds us that the air we breathe comes from God, that everything we experience in this world, including the world itself and our lives themselves, 
come from God. So verse 29 says, when you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. Now, we read earlier in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, where the Bible says, let us, talking about the triunity of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who were all involved in creation. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So after creating everything else, God created human beings. I like to look at it this way. We're the we're the capstone. We're the pinnacle of God's creation. Creation was made for God to enjoy, but also God delegated the dominion of this world to the hand of you and me, mankind, to take care of, to enjoy, to rule with God. Humans are like God. That doesn't mean we look like God because God is spirit. No one knows what God looks like. But the image of God is about relationship with God that you and I can have. Life and all that is needed to sustain life only comes from God. When God in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 explains it this way, God breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The breath of life created the relationship that you and I can have with God. And when Adam and Eve were created, they had that perfect relationship with God and with each other. They had everything God wanted them to have. They had everything God wanted them to know and do. And they trusted God completely for everything that they needed. And God richly and abundantly and over the top supplied what they needed. Now I want you to use your imagination with me just for a moment. Can you do that? Just put your mind into gear and think with me just for a moment. Imagine what a perfect relationship in life would look like. Let's just take, for example, the relationship of a husband and wife. Imagine Adam would take out the trash with a smile on his face the first time Eve asked him to. Eve would never have to complain about Adam leaving the toilet seat up. Eve would not interrupt Adam not one bit from watching a football game. I mean, the environment was perfect. Adam and Eve would have enjoyed each other with each other's interest in mind, wanting each other to have the best that life had to offer. That's the way God created Adam and Eve and put them in this perfect environment that we know as the world. But as you probably already know, everything was so great until Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, the image of God in humans became broken because Adam and Eve both defied God. 
They chose their way rather than God's way. And sin changed everything for them, and ultimately it changed everything for you and me as well. Since Genesis 3, the image of God in humans has been broken. It's been separated by sin. Now, you don't need me to point out how broken this world is. And how brokenness has affected this world. Because of sin, this world is sad. It's dangerous, and it's broken. Psalm 104, 29 helps us understand that we were created by God, and we cannot survive without God, but that because of sin, our bodies will die and return to dust. But guess what? There's good news. There's good news to that story because fortunately that's not the end of the story. In verse 30, the the psalmist says, When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. See, God created you by His Spirit, Genesis 2-7. He created you with a spirit that relates to His Spirit. And even though sin separates you from God and separates your spirit from His Spirit... In Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, the Bible tells us that God demonstrated His love for us in that while we were still sinners, the greatest sacrifice in the world, Jesus Christ, came and died for us so that our spirit could be reunited with the Spirit of God when we trust Jesus Christ. Christ died for us. Jesus sacrificed His life blood. To pay the price for the penalty of your sin debt and my sin debt. Do you understand that today? Can you comprehend that freedom from the penalty of every sin that you've ever committed, freedom from the penalty of every sin that you will create, has already been paid for by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? When you understand that, you can't help but give praise and glory to God. Celebrate Him. The gratitude for receiving a heart transplant or being cured from cancer can't even come close to the celebration and gratitude that you can experience when you realize all that Jesus has provided for you as a free gift. In Desiring God, John Piper said this, and I quote, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. He goes on and says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. How do you do that? Why can you do that? Only because of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for you and me. The heart of of the Christian life is glorifying God. That includes sometimes lifting up our hands and giving praise to Him. That includes sometimes falling on our face and crying out to Him in reverence to Him and in honor of what He's done for us. The writer of Philippians puts it this way, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So, Rejoicing and the joy and giving praise to God 
is not circumstantial. In fact, the best time to praise God is when we feel the worst. The best time to praise God and give glory to Him is when we feel most violated. And so I encourage you to join the psalmist today and let your life glorify God as you trust Him, as you receive His gifts of grace and faith, and then accept the challenge to live the rest of your life giving glory and praise and honor to Him. You glorify God when you accept the fact that you need God, that you can't do life without Him, that He supplied life for you, and you owe Him everything. You need Him. When you admit the fact that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, when you admit the fact that you are included with the billions and billions of men and women who have come down through the ages since Genesis 3 and realize that you are a part of the all who has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, you realize that by grace you're saved through faith, not of anything you can do, not of your works. God's already done the work. It's a free gift of God. All you and I have to do is accept that gift, receive that gift, and then say, God, thank you for giving me your grace and giving me your faith. And in return for that, I want to live the rest of my life glorifying you. I want to make all of my life about you. You glorify God when you take the time, like the psalmist, to worship God. Let me remind you again, worship is not about you. Worship is not about the person out there who needs to come and hear the gospel. Worship is about glorifying God alone and praising Him alone. And when you put yourself in that position, you're like the psalmist was here. I don't know what was going on in his life when he wrote this psalm, but I'll tell you this, it didn't matter. He was glorifying God in all of creation. And you and I can do the same thing. Your spirit. I don't know how this works, but I know it does. Your spirit is renewed when you truly worship God. When you feel the weight of the glory of God on your shoulders, there's a burden that's lifted like nothing else. Your body will return to dust, but for believers, you're going to receive a new body. You're going to receive a body that has no pain, that has no aches, that has no time limit or term limit. Believers in glory are going to receive a glorified body that lasts forever and ever and ever and ever so that we can celebrate and glorify God forever. So now let's, let's wrap up the psalm. Thirdly, our great God created Sabbath. In the 21st century, especially here in North America, we need to hear this message today. Verse 31 says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works who looks down on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. 
I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to Him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. If you turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 2, we read it earlier this morning, verses 2 and 3. The Bible clearly says on the seventh day, God finished the work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His works that had, He had done. Verse 3, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. After this magnificent display of creation that we know as the heavens and the planets and the earth and everything that's on all of that and in all of that, God rested. Why, why did God rest? It wasn't because he, he got tired. God doesn't get tired and fatigued. Sabbath is a day planned by God, set aside for restoration and worship. Restoration and worship. 1977, I sat in a seminary chapel in Fort Worth, Texas, and I heard heart transplant surgeon Dr. Michael DeBecky say that NASA had spent millions of dollars on this study to look at the human body and see what it takes for the human body to be maximally effective. Guess what that study revealed? That study revealed that man's body is maximally efficient when man works six days and on the seventh day they recuperate. Duh. <laughs> I mean, Genesis chapter 2 tells us that. I'm sure you won't argue with me in the fact that people today are fragile. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually fragile. Why is that? Well, I believe the major reason is because we're so busy. Busyness has taken over the ability for us to enjoy restoration and worship of God. Yeah, we take vacations occasionally, but we come back from the vacations tireder than we were when we left. Because we don't spend time on our vacations actually communing with God and Sabbathing with God. Letting our bodies be restored. Worshiping God. You were made physically and emotionally and spiritually to observe a rhythm of Sabbath, a regular rhythm of Sabbath. Sabbath is taking time to focus on letting God restore your soul so you can glorify Him. So what should we do on a Sabbath? Well, the psalmist got it right on this in verses 31 to 35. I want you just to look with me, and I'm not going to expand on this very much. It's eye-opening to me at how well the psalmist knew this principle. 
in verse 31, he said, join in rejoicing with God in his works. Verse 31 says, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. See, if God rejoices in his works, he invites us into that picture to rejoice in his works. When you're sitting by the ocean, rejoice in God. When you're riding through the mountains, rejoice in God. God wants to let us be brought into his rejoicing in his works. In verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. What do I do when I Sabbath? I sing praise to God. God doesn't care about your ability to carry a tune. He's looking at your heart. So let everything that God has made and every part of God whom He is draw you to sing praises to Him. In verse 34, May my meditation be pleasing to Him, for I rejoice in the Lord. How much time do you spend meditating on the Lord? Looking at Him through His Word and through prayer and just absorbing, meditating. Taking, that takes time to block out the things of the world and focus on God. Verse 35 says, let sinners be consumed from the earth. Let the wicked be no more. Does that picture not sadden your heart? Are you aware that people without Jesus, who die separated from God by their sin, spend eternity in hell separated from God? A part of Sabbath should be God, give me a clear picture of the reality of hell and what it means to spend eternity separated from you so that when I come out of Sabbath, I'll be willing with my words and my actions to share Jesus with, with people who are dying in their sin and being consumed by the things of this world that lead away from God rather than to God. But then he rebounds from that. In verse 35, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. You can't Sabbath without praising the Lord. You can't Sabbath without realizing that you're minuscule, that God is great. And yet in the minuscule state of my life, God has chosen to bring me and you into his family as a brother of Jesus Christ, an heir of God and a co-heir with Jesus Christ. When you understand that, how can you but celebrate and praise him? So again, I say this, the greatest pleasure in life comes through praising God. Whether you're down in the dumps or on the mountaintop or anywhere in between. The greatest pleasure in life comes through praising God. Lots of things can keep you from blessing God and praising Him. The top of that list would be not following God's command to Sabbath. 
to spend one day out of six praising Him and singing to Him and meditating on Him and getting a clear focus from His, from his viewpoint of what this world needs from you, but then making sure that the ultimate end of that is praising God and celebrating Him. Are you willing today to glorify God and praise Him forever? If you are, it's because He has put that nature in your heart. And because He has put that nature in your heart, your goal and your ambition is to praise Him. So this entire psalm, last week and this week, how can we sum it up by way of application? Here's what I would say. Bless and praise our great God every single day. Not just on Sunday, but Monday to Saturday. Every single day. Bless and praise our great God. See, you're made in God's very own image so that you can know Him and worship Him and give glory to His name. You're created by God with a capacity to enter into that personal relationship with Him, which is the highest privilege of any creation of God. You're designed with a mind to know God, a heart to love God, and a will to care about what God cares about. And that's His creation, and that's people. So your highest glory is found in your relationship with God. There's, there's a God-shaped part in every one of us that's empty because of sin. That can only be filled by our relationship with God. And our relationship with God can only be established when we come to realize that we're a sinner. Understand that Jesus, God's perfect sacrifice... Sacrifice his life for your sin. And you repent of your sin and turn away from your sin. And you give your life to God through Jesus Christ. He paid it all so you can have it all. If you've never done that, I want to invite you today to give your life to Jesus. To trust him. Because in the next few minutes, we're going to celebrate God's over-the-top generosity. With doing what he asks us to do, and that celebrate communion together. I invite you to, at this time, take your communion cup. It's in your seat, near your seat, and take the flaps off, take the bread out, and hold the cup in your hand for just a moment. As we continue to, to glorify him through communion this morning. Father, thank you today that you've called us into a relationship with you that puts us in an environment, first of all, to know you, be restored in our relationship with you, and then celebrate life with you by taking care of your creation, which includes ourselves, our souls, our spirit our very lives. And God, thank you for doing the work in us and for us through Jesus that we could never do for ourselves. 
And right now we do what you have asked us to do. The Bible says the Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, thank you for coming and living among us, being flesh, dwelling among us, for allowing your body to be broken, sacrificed on that cross. And then thank you, God, so much for shedding your blood to pay for the price of the penalty of our sin. And so now we do as you commanded us. We eat this bread and drink this cup and recognize what your death has done for us until you do come again. In Jesus' name, we celebrate you. Amen. And Father, once again now, we acknowledge the fact that when we recognize all that you've done for us, when we recognize who you truly are and what you've done through your creation to create us, to give us dominion over everything in this earth and above this earth, ultimately, you've given us a new life, a transformed life through the blood of Jesus Christ. We can't help but praise and worship you. God, I pray that there's anyone here who's never trusted you that right now they'll give their life to you. They'll celebrate a new relationship with you by confessing sin and repenting of sin and accepting the gift of salvation and determining to live the rest of our life fully devoted to you. And God, all of that just draws us to worship you, and we do that now. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.